This podcast is sponsored by Visit Orlando. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a super special episode of Dare to Interrupt, an experience where you have the opportunity to sit in on honest, unfiltered conversations with women who are considered to be the most influential, inspiring, and innovative professionals in the world of events, hospitality, business, and beyond. Throughout their careers, these leaders have dared to interrupt conversations, their own comfort zones, and sometimes even societal norms to hustle toward their greatest levels of success. My name is Courtney Stanley, and I'm a keynote speaker, leadership coach, and creator and host of Dare to Interrupt. I am so excited to be recording this episode in front of an audience at She Means Business, live here in Las Vegas at IMAX America. Here with me today, we have three phenomenal interviewees. These women are leaders, they're trailblazers, and they're an inspiration to me and the community. Joining me on stage, I have my friend Chandra, who I've known for quite some time and is one of my favorite leaders in our industry, and I'm sure you'll learn why as we get into our conversation. We have Relly, who is a new friend and just, ugh, just such a force and so passionate, and I can't wait for you to hear from her today. And we have Kat, who's also a new friend, an entrepreneur, and a badass. I can't wait for you to hear from her too. So I would love for them to just take a second to introduce yourself to the audience, tell us a little bit about what you do, and we'll just pass it down the line. So Chandra, we'll start with you. Thanks, Courtney. Thanks, Courtney. You can flip it up. Flip it up. Right. Never like to go first. Thanks, Courtney, and um, thanks so much for having me here today. I'm very excited. I am Chandra Allison. I am the Senior Vice President of Strategy and Growth for Oakview Group. And um, a little bit about our company, as you saw, we are venue management. We are owners, operators, and developers of venues worldwide. And it is an extremely exciting company with a lot of growth. I'm excited to talk a little bit about why I joined Oakview Group today um, and what that meant for my journey. So excited to be here, and thank you. Peace and light, everyone. I'm Sherelle, but in the industry, everyone calls me Relly Habibi. Uh, my world consists of high, um, high quality event production, social public relation, and creativity. I'm what you call a renaissance woman, and I'm happy to be here. Hello, everybody. My name is Kat Kevin. I wear two hats. So, um, my first being chair of NAWI, the network of women in events. Uh, we are based in the UK and we operate mainly in England and across the United Kingdom. So, we are a community of online event professionals who support one another, working towards our three goals of inclusion, um, creating job opportunities, and increasing representation. And when I'm not busy um, with Nawi, which is a nonprofit, I run my own business, which is Electric Cat Productions, and we are a marketing and events agency. Thanks, ladies. And can you all hear okay? Is it a little quiet? You're okay in the corners too? A little bit louder? Okay, yeah. I'll just ask you to hold the mic a little bit closer when you speak. It sounds a little quiet, so I just always want to check. Okay, perfect. Well, ladies, it's so great to hear or to hear from you in your introduction, but also to have you here with all of us today. Chandra, I'd love to start with you as we dig into this conversation. I, as long as I've known you, and much longer than that, for the last 25 years, you worked at the Venetian, and you just recently decided to leave and try something new. What inspired you to make that, that jump? A lot of things, but I would say the most impactful thing to me, um, a woman said to me that I've known for years, um, when you spend too much time in one place and you get too comfortable, you 
run the risk of being stagnant and becoming irrelevant. And that was such an impactful thing to say to me because I had worked so hard to get to where I was at the Venetian and I was very comfortable there. I worked in an amazing venue, uh, amazing property. I had a fantastic team of people. Um, I had so much professional growth experiences over the 25 years that I had been there. I knew what to expect every day when I walked in and that actually scared me um, when I finally had, to, when, I, when I heard that, I'm like, I need to do something different because I, I believe that my growth trajectory was so much more than what I had in front of me at the Venetian. And so that's what drove me to leave. I was inspired and impacted by that statement. What was the hardest part of that process? You knew you needed to leave, you wanted to find something different. How did you, how did you approach the process of finding something new when you'd been doing the same thing for so long? Yeah, I left uh, in May of 22 and honestly had no idea what I was gonna do next. I just knew I needed to do something else. And I took four months off. I spent a lot of time with my family and my children and we traveled and just really had to do some soul searching as to what it was that I wanted out of the next step in my career. What is it that I still needed to learn, um, I still needed to gain exposure to, like what was interesting to me, um, what was going to be challenging to me, like what was going to get me out of that comfort zone that I was in for so long, and I really needed to put that down on paper and figure out what I was willing to accept and do and what I wasn't willing to accept and do. And so going through that process and kind of reflecting on what I wanted to do versus what someone else wanted me to do in a role was really important um, over that four months. And so as I started to talk to different organizations, um, I, I was very comfortable with saying, no, I, that's not a good role for me. That's not what I want to do. This is what I want to do. These are my strengths. This is what is meaningful for me. And here's the value that I think I can bring to help you grow your company, which is how I landed with Oakview Group, who is a, an extremely fast-growing company. Um, and I found that they gave me an opportunity to, to get into a lot of different things that helped me provide value to them, but also provided value for my growth and my objectives and, and my uh, journey. And it was scary, let me tell you, like leaving yeah. <laughs> um, and trying to figure those things out. And I'll, I'll tell you, like saying to anyone, no, I don't want to do that, right? When you've got this amazing job looking in front of you and you're like, no, that's not the right job for me. That's not going to work for me. Um, and then you think to yourself, oh gosh, is there going to be someone else that's going to want my skill sets? And you just have to be, I had to be confident in what I brought to the table and all of the things that I had experienced. And there was going to be that right, you know, that right organization that um, I could value from, but that they could also value from my years of experience. Mm -hmm. And Relly, I know for you, something that you're really passionate about is just talking about living on purpose. And just listening to your answers, Chandra, and understanding that process and that journey, it sounds like you did do quite a bit of self-reflection and soul-searching to really understand what mattered to you most. And for me, that really does come down to what am I doing with my life? What's important to me? What's my purpose? So, really, when you say that you live on purpose, what does that mean to you? For me, living on purpose is to live intentional, be intentional about what you're doing, thinking, feeling, and just doing everything you want to do and think and feel. Um, it's not living on default, you know what I mean? 
And for me personally, I created a vision of myself, a higher self, and I try my best every day to show up as that person. Um, but ultimately, my mission that aligns with my purpose is to also amplify the voices of people that look like me and to create spaces for people that look like me. Um, purpose isn't something that you're finding. It's something that you're living in every day. And that's my take on that. What inspires you, really, to, to live out this purpose that you're describing? Um, above all things is my faith. Um, God has brought me here and out of storms, so, so many storms. But what inspires me is that intrinsic motivation, intrinsic motivation in my son and just my community, actually, just to see them thriving and amplifying their voices. That keeps me going. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to, I think she, like, like, that's a really good point and wanted to share. Um, when you talk about your faith, I talk about, like, my children. I have two young girls, uh, a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old, so I'm getting ready for the hard times coming up on teenage years. Um, just how, as through my career and through my journey, um, the priorities in your life change so much, and it's about anchoring into the priorities that are in front of you. And so as I have two children that are getting ready to go into adulthood in the next five or seven years, that is important to me, and my purpose was them and creating, being a role model to be bold and get out in front of things and show them that you can do whatever you want to do, you just have to chart the path for yourself. And so I, I couldn't agree more in just finding that purpose, and that purpose changes over time, I think. Kat, I want to ask you this next question. Really, something that you said really stuck with me, and, and that was the word default. So living on default and not doing that, which I think is really interesting. Do any of you in the audience ever feel like you're just on autopilot? Like, yep, checking boxes, just kind of like meaninglessly moving from day to day, trying to be grateful, trying to find joy, but also feeling a little bit like you're on default. Kat, have you ever experienced that? And if not, what do you do to kind of keep that excitement, that energy, that purpose in your day-to-day? -day? Um, I, I guess I'm really lucky that um, I have been self-employed since I started my career in, in the events industry. Um, so I've always embraced new challenges, working with new teams, different locations, from sporting events to festivals to working at the Queen's Funeral. I've always... Um, I've been in control of the kind of projects that I'm working on. Um, and, and perhaps, yeah, perhaps sometimes, especially at the beginning of my career, it was, I was very driven by who was asking me, my availability. So I, I was very much more at the mercy of my clients, but in the nature of working those short-term contracts, I guess I never had time to get bored or it never got stale because I was always relearning this new system or how this new manager worked or the intricacies of a venue that I had never been in and then having to go and deliver an event. So um, I'm very fortunate um, in the sense that I've always had a lot of control over what I do and more and more so now as my career has evolved, I'm very much very fortunate now to be able to align myself with the kind of clients that I would like to be aligned with. And you're self-employed, like you said, from the very start. What has been the biggest challenge of being a business owner, especially in today's age? How long have you got? <laughs> what was it? How long have you got? Um, no, oh, were, oh. <laughs> how many? 
There are lots of different challenges, and I do believe that network being the primary challenge that I faced when I very first started out, because when you go freelance off the bat at the tender age of 20, I didn't really know the key players, the key companies, how to even from one company to the next, one role could mean something very different. So um, there have def definitely have been lots of challenges, and I would say that network being one of them, which is why I'm so fortunate for NAWI, the Network of Women in Events, which is a community, a, a platform, um, and through that, yeah, I've been very fortunate um, not having to worry so much about my network. I'd love to open this up to the full group, but we'll continue with you, Kat, for a moment. How did you solve that problem? So you were struggling to have that network, to find key stakeholders. How did you open those doors for yourself? Um, so NAWI has been in place since 2013. Uh, I've been involved since 2021. Um, but, well, actually, I was involved a little bit prior to that. Um, I've been chair since 2021. But um, when I found NAWI, it started as a Facebook group. So. I don't know how it is in the US, but in the UK, a lot of the self-employed opportunities are word of mouth, who you know, and Facebook. So really funnily, Facebook is where I have got most of my work and most of my clients and most of my network. So I just saw this opportunity that it was such an incredible and inspiring community that I was emailing the founder and I was saying, look, can we do a new logo? Can we do a new website? Can, we, can I get some people in a room and just do a little event? And, I think after two or three years, she, um, she was just like, Kat, you should just run it. You should, here's the bank account. Here's the login to all of our accounts. Just run with it. And being able to shape that has really helped me with my network, but at the same time has empowered a lot of other people who were starting out in their career. And I think even just, I've been in the industry for eight, eight years, roughly, and even in just eight years ago, I didn't know of many other mentorship programs or communities or events that I felt like I had a place and I could gain value, even though I went to university and studied events management where I, I didn't find the, the sort of breadth of opportunities that I was hoping to gain from that course. Mm -hmm. And really, I know community is very important to you as well. I know we've spoken about that before. Why is that? Why is community so pivotal in your life? Well, for me, because I am a woman of color, it's important, community is important to me so that I can get all that I need, that, that nurture for my community, because no one understands me but my people the best. And that's just me being candid. But I do want to shout out our fellow, from being a fellow entrepreneur, I do want to shout out us um, and say that me personally, I may have fumbled the money bag once or twice, but I never stopped getting one. So shout out to the hill climbers in the audience, anyone who's still working in the corporate world and want to walk on that entrepreneur walk, you have all my blessings and love. I do want to say that, including you, Kat. Um, but yeah, community is very important to me, um, especially when I find myself in times where who understands me, who understands this walk, who can I talk to that can really give me the gritty, you know, about the adversities that we had to face, black women have to face in our industry. So that's why community is important to me. I would love to dig into that a little bit more. So in, in our industry, in our space, what matters most to you? What, what do you want to see more of in our, our community to support people in all corners of the industry? Platforms like this, are, platforms like this is a beautiful start. Um, more speaking opportunity, engagement opportunities. Um, 
more opportunities for us to create and build and put on productions like this. Um, as a black creative, it's always important to open up that space for major, major platforms like IMAX and She Means Business. So I would love to see that more, for sure. Um, yeah, that's about it. Will you also tell the audience, just take a moment to tell the audience about the work that you do? Mm -hmm. Because your, your resume, your experience is really, really impressive. Thank so you. I love that you shouted out all of the business owners and the entrepreneurs in the room. And I think you're such a great example of hard work, of purpose, of integrity. But I'd love for you to just explain to the audience a little bit more about who you've worked with and what you've worked on. Absolutely. So my most recent co-design project was with YouTube as they explore AI as a means to solve industry um, nuances. So you're talking the beauty industry, film, television, nuances that really only affect people of color as they create their next generation of avatars and filters and effects and things like that. So if you think about an avatar or a filter, let's take Instagram for example. A lot of times the filters make people of color look grainy and gray and white. So my co-design project with YouTube is to explore how AI can help us identify problems or how we are presented in these industries, beauty, film, TV, and such. Um, I work with other companies on design fronts. I'm always challenging design fronts. I work with Miami Swim Week, um, BET, uh, Google, and the list goes on as a freelancer. And it's been very pivoting, very challenging, but I wouldn't have it in no other way. I'm very proud of the work I'm doing, and I'm very proud to be an example of what people of color can do if they just put their mind to it and just be their authentic selves, yeah. And Chandra, I know you've had a very successful career. You've been incredibly engaged in the industry at the highest levels of leadership. What do you feel you credit that those experiences to? Obviously hard work being one of them, but strategies in other side. We've talked a little bit about community. We've talked a little bit about mentorship. What do you feel like were most critical for you to be able to really seize and optimize in your climb? Yeah, all of those things, of course, but I would agree with these ladies, the community and the network in which you surround yourself with. Um, I go back to when I first got started in the industry, there was a woman who grabbed me at a MPI um, golf tournament, and I had the deer in the headlights look. It was my first time into the market. I had the Northeast Territory, and she grabbed me and said, you're jumping my cart with me. I'm going to take you around and introduce you to absolutely everybody today. And she did just that. And she had such an amazing network of people, and that was kind of my first entry. And that experience for me um, is again, very impactful, so I take it upon myself as my network has grown, and I have, um, have a great network of customers or you know, leaders in the industry or advocacy, making sure that I introduce that person who's next to me, who may be new to the organization, maybe new to the conversation, anybody on my team that knows me, anything, I make it a point to introduce people and exp to allow them to expand their network. And that's just something that I am super mindful of every day because I think the network of people that you can surround yourself with helps build you up, helps introduce you to other people, new opportunities, new things that maybe you wouldn't had a chance to think about. And so that's been a big piece for me amongst a lot of other things, but that just really um, rings true to me, uh, making sure that other people have the same opportunity and I can use any type of platform or net network that I have to introduce other people. 
Something I know you spoke to me about prior to today's conversation was the importance of making sure there is representation at the table. What does that mean to you and how have you practiced that throughout your career? Yeah, that's very important to me. Um, people who work for me or have worked for me on my team um, know that if if I, I want you, if maybe they're not seasoned enough to be at the whatever table that may be, making sure that I understand what their voice is, understand what their thoughts are, and so that I can represent to the table their voices, making sure they get credit for it. Um, because I think a lot of times we have really great conversations in smaller groups, and then we go to a boardroom and you take credit for it yourself. And I've seen that many, many times with no offense to the men in here, but a lot of the men do that. I've had that done to me personally. And so I just try to be mindful of making sure that I give those people a voice in the room and give them credit for it. Um, and people who can bring thoughts and um, meaning to a table, I make sure that they have a seat at the table. I'm very mindful of that. Um, I, I do think that sometimes if you are new and or unexperienced, you have to be very careful. You know, it's so easy to be like, I gotta be in that room, I wanna be at the seat at the table, but you have to make sure that that seat at the table and what you bring to it is meaningful because it can have the opposite effect if it's not. Just talking for the sake of talking could actually have people look at you in a negative way. And so if, you know, I always, try to help coach people to say, well, what is it that you want to share? What is it that you want to bring to the table? So I would just make sure that if you want that seat at the table, just make sure you bring something meaningful because it could be harmful to you at the end. So I just think those are how, those are the ways I think about it. And I try to coach people to that um, any way I can and give them a platform when, when I have a platform to, to promote them. What's so funny is that, so I have been at a few tables in my career as well, and it's so interesting because as, especially as a younger professional, the people that I found that would talk the most for the sake of talking were the more senior people in the room, which is so interesting to me. I don't know if anyone else has experienced that, but I think walking into a space already having a little bit of a, the imposter syndrome situation happening with, I'm young, you know, all these people have 20 plus ex years of experience, I have five, um, and then not really having space available, I think that's the best way I can put it, with people who dominate the conversation and trying to muster up the fear to push, or the courage to push past the fear to find my way into those cracks in the room that's full of really big voices, really big personalities, for me was a real struggle. And something that I had to really work through and actually was called out for, and I've, I've shared this a few times, uh, was one of the other women that was in that room at that table with me pulled me aside and said to me, you earned that seat and you need to use your voice. And it was, a, it was a good reality check for me to have, but it was also a tough one because it was really difficult to find that space without then feeling like I was just talking for the sake of talking. And I do think that there's a balance to strike where you need to prove your value in that room by verbalizing your ideas or providing feedback or challenging ideas that are taking place. But I think you also have to allow for other people to have space as well. Relly, you gonna hop in? Yes, I just wanted to piggyback off that everything that you said, Courtney, is the very same reason why I left corporate world. Because 
I felt as a woman of color, the microaggressions were beyond this world, first and foremost, let me just put that out there. But I didn't feel that I could truly be who I was at those tables. And the ideas that I had or the input that I had, I, could, I couldn't, it didn't manifest, it didn't go anywhere. So I always felt like less than with peers that were middle-aged or, you know, Caucasian men or women who just didn't really want to shine light on me, but I knew my value and my worth. So that's the very reason I left corporate world and went on my entrepreneurship walk. And um, for those very same reasons, because I wanted to step outside the box and, and just go against the grain and be disruptive. <laughs> well, cheers to you, Relly, for, you know, creating your own path and your own journey. And it's really interesting because if you look at the trends of business and business owners, there are more and more women who are deciding to become entrepreneurs because there are less barriers. So if we can't change the system, then we create something else that works for us. And I can honestly say as a full-time entrepreneur myself, that's exactly what I think inspired me more than anything else to do my own thing too, was because of the microaggressions or also just barriers different types of doors and ceilings that I was not able to access no matter which path I took because it wasn't the right door for me at that time, but it also was systematically not necessarily the right environment for me. So I hear you. I definitely hear you. Kat, what do you think? You're an entrepreneur too. What do you think of this conversation? Jump in. Well, when you spoke about representation, that resonates very strongly with me because it is the third pillar of Naui. So we, we do believe that it's very hard to achieve a, a role, a status, a, a job, whatever that might be that you're trying to achieve. If you can't see someone who looks like yourself, how are you going to ever imagine that it's possible for yourself? So we believe that representation is a huge piece that helps with all of the other efforts that we're putting in. Uh, whether that's networking, job opportunities, and um, mentorship. So everything works towards increasing that representation. And we do need more diversity. And uh, as much as, yeah, I speak about diversity a lot with my Nawi hat on, for me, women, it represents, yeah, all the groups who are a minority because we are actually quite fortunate. And as much as we do still face a lot of issues, I do like to remind myself that there are other minorities that are facing a lot of other issues as well. So representation is huge. And exactly as you said, for me, there's nothing that brings me more pleasure than helping and empowering other women. So if a panel opportunity isn't quite right for me, I love to be able to pass that on. Or uh, for instance, we had our AGM um, just last week, last week uh, for now. We, and I was working on a project with a, a project coordinator. So being able to give her the opportunity to share that in front of the room and just giving her that opportunity to speak up. And, and it's just always really nice to give back for those people that were able to help me at the beginning of my career. I love to do the same for others that are beginning in their career and, and being able to help them and empower them is really important to me. Thanks, Kat. And you, both you and Relly talked about visibility in different ways. When I asked you, Relly, what would you change in our community? How can we create more opportunity for different voices, for more voices to have that presence? And then you just also spoke about sharing the stage, inviting other people into that spotlight with you. How do you think, what do you think are the best ways to create visibility around the work that you're doing, what you bring to the table? Um, creating visibility. Well, first and foremost, I guess I can use YouTube as a prime example. 
um, they didn't have anyone in their big organization to help with exploring nuance, industry nuances and, you know, and how AI can help. And I thought that was just so mind-blowing. Um, it's, it's a beautiful company, but I thought that was just so mind-blowing because um, it's so huge. So because they had to reach out to people like me, freelancers like me, they were passionate about that. They wanted to reach out to the communities and speak to people who's going to make their vision come to life. Not those who really work within the company, but those who, like myself, that look like myself. Like, how can we make filters better or avatars better. So that's important. So I think creating visibility is recognizing where you see a problem and you know that you don't have no one at the table or no one in the organization to help fix the problem and to outsource. There's nothing wrong with outsourcing, you know? So I think that's where you can start. I also think as a company, if you have an employee that works for you, let's say two years, right? And they haven't leveled up in any way or any capacity, is it truly something wrong with that employee or is it something wrong with the organization of the company and how you, do, you, do you need mentorship programs within your company? Do you need you know, other programs where your employees can be better and elevate and level up? So just recognizing where you can just be better. Everyone has room for improvement. You know? I don't care how much money you make. I don't care how much the organization makes. Just recognize where there's still room for improvement and how you can help those who work for you or with you, you know? Hope that clarifies it. I would say it's incumbent upon leadership to make sure that we are finding ways to recognize um, people who don't have the voices or are struggling with leveling up or the skills that they need. We, you need to put the right structure, the right people in place to amplify that problem and look for ways to solve it. Um, it's not going to get solved on its own. It's not going to get solved if you shove it in a drawer once a year and have an annual review. Um, it needs to be systematic. And, um, you know, we have a, a person, um, uh, an amazing doctor on our team. Uh, Dr. Deb is what we call her. She is our um, VP of kind of all things people, DEI, and she's done an amazing job. And she's just started on her journey um, within our company to identify ways um, to help people level up. We've got um, people in different levels within our organization who want to get to an AGM role or the next director role. And so doing a lot of work um, within our organization to identify paths that they can get to those places. And so again, it starts with leadership saying that this is important to me, it's important to my company, it's important to the people who work for us and the culture that we're trying to create. So I just think it's incumbent on leadership, whether you're a big corporation or you're a small entrepreneurial company, like it starts at the top to have to make it a priority. I'm really excited because you both uh, use the term level up, which is what we've called our mentorship program at Naui. When we were looking for a name, we were really looking for something that embodied women who wanted to take their career to that next stage. Because um, one of the common issues faced by women in the events industry, as we are, I'm sure, very all aware, is that there isn't a lack of women in the industry, as we can tell by the audience today. The issue is breaking through that glass ceiling and helping those women who don't feel supported, who don't feel empowered, who maybe can't visualize themselves in those senior leadership roles. So that's why we named our mentorship program Level Up. 
It's interesting. I saw this, uh, I think it might have been a graduation speech, actually. I have a friend who just constantly sends me videos. Does anyone have friends like that? <laughs> yeah, whether it's on Instagram or LinkedIn or wherever. She always sends great videos, though, to her defense. And I saw this graduation speech, and it was all about this concept of the glass ceiling. And it was described in a way where, when you picture a glass ceiling, how I picture it is that it's above your head, right? It's a ceiling and you're hitting and you can't actually rise to the top. The way that it was described in the speech was really fascinating to me. And it was, it was that we need to stop trying to punch up to crack the ceiling to get through and instead kick down the walls that are holding up the ceiling in place. So it's the foundation that's the problem. It's the system that's the problem. It's not necessarily just the position or the role that you're in where you're having a struggle to advance and climb further, but it's a much bigger conversation about things like microaggressions. And if you were here this morning about things like women being labeled one thing versus another. So for example, bitchy versus confident, and that was the first thing that came to mind. I don't know if anyone can relate to that, being a very confident, strong person, and then being told that you're too much or you're too loud. And it was really interesting because in today's conversation this morning, our speaker, Devin Pasha, was talking about the research that basically points out that it doesn't matter what you're labeled, you're gonna be labeled something different the next day, and there's really no point in trying to change the label instead you should just walk in your authentic walk. And that's how you're gonna earn your stripes and start to knock down those walls instead of trying to break the label that's hanging over your head. So I thought that was really interesting and the glass ceiling comment just, just caught me there for a second. I'd love to talk about what is happening with leadership these days. So the pandemic was a really difficult time for our industry and it was a really challenging time for anybody who was working either as a leader or working within a company on a team. One of the things that came to light was that team members and employees really wanted more empathy. They wanted more connection, more vulnerability, more transparency between their teams themselves and their leaders. And they felt like there was a significant lack of education, or not education, communication between the two layers of leadership and anybody underneath those leaders. But then there's the other side where leaders are afraid to be vulnerable. They're afraid to be too transparent. And there's a line, I'm sure. We don't really know where that line is, and I think context matters. But Chandra, what are your thoughts on leading with vulnerability and encouraging real talk, open, transparent conversation with your team? Um. This is extremely important to me, um, and I think I had said this earlier, people who've worked for me know that this is um, critical, and gosh, the pandemic made it even much more, even that much more um, critical to just have real dialogue, real conversations, like everybody was going through, and still today, right, it doesn't change because the pandemic's in a different place, but, um, People are com coming from so many different places in their journey and you never know what is happening in the morning they wake up and the craziness that ensues as soon as they roll over and either turn on their phone or their kids screaming at them. And so I just, you have to be able to give empathy to people where they are in their day, where they are in their journey and understand as a leader um, and even as management 
um, what it is that they're dealing with and give them some space, some grace for that. I always think to myself, like, you got to give people grace every day because you just never know where they are. And I try to remember that when I have something that I have to accomplish because as a leader, we all have things we got to get done for the day. But everybody can be coming from very different places and you have to be open to to say, how are you doing today? What's going on today? Because you just, because no matter how much you push, they just might not be in the headspace for the day. And so it's trying to find that balance of having open, empathetic conversations with people and where they are and trying to get things done as a leader. It's very tricky. It's very difficult. But without a real conversation, it feels insurmountable or impossible on a day-to-day basis. So whether it's at a leadership role, a middle management role, just in a team environment, having those open conversations and understanding where people are coming from and then how do you help them get past it and give them grace for the day so that we can solve the problem today or tomorrow, I think is really important um, in in everyday life. And I, I think cultures have to have that type of environment in order to be successful and productive. Well, I think that response carries us into our first audience question perfectly. And a lot of people in this room would like this question asked, and I think you're all gonna understand why when I read this question off. So the number one question to come in from our audience today is, do you think burnout will ever not be the norm in our industry? Why would anyone ask that? That doesn't make sense, guys. I think it's really interesting seeing a lot of companies jump on the four-day working week, which I'd like to, I'd be really interested if in the room anybody has ever heard that mentioned in their workplace, which I can't really imagine anyone has because it, it just seems inconceivable. Something that I think is really important is just understanding, knowing yourself. So my input at this stage that I'm at in my career right now at my age I recognize that I'm going to be putting a lot more in that hopefully in the next 10, 20 years than I can when my energy levels start to drop and, and when in my life there will come a time where I have different priorities. I think I, I'm very much a, a believer in front-loading, so I try and put as much in as I can now so that because I do have the energy and the time and the, the drive. So I, I think it's just understanding what your work balance life should look like because what is my normal might be very different for someone else who might be facing other challenges or um, other priorities or uh, yeah other commitments whereas I'm in a place where I can give x amount and and that might look very different to my peers or colleagues so um, I think it's just about knowing yourself is, is very important. Really, I know you have things to say. <laughs> sure do. Question. I sure do. Um, so, how many how many women in here, people in here, are comfortable with saying no? No, really, raise your hand. Are you comfortable with saying no? I've gotten better. Yeah. That's but that's better. a significant amount. It's like half aren't, half, half aren't. So, my advice would be be okay and comfortable with telling someone no, telling your job no, I can't, telling your husband no, telling the kids no. I can't do that, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so that's where burnout 
can, you know, really uh, play a role for the individual, your individual self is if you can just say no. If you're not up to doing it, don't be a people pleaser. Don't just try to press through if your body is telling you otherwise, you know, if your mental health is telling you otherwise. It's okay to say no. No is a sentence. No is an answer. And it doesn't need an explanation. And that's how I look at burnout. And hopefully when we talk about the events industry and organizations, they can find some type of medium or balance to where the employees don't say no too many times to them because there's a balance, there's a... Um, there's equilibrium on that work-life balance there, you know? So mm -hmm. say no, it's okay. <laughs> and I like how you said your body will tell you no, because I, in my own experience, my body is the last messenger. So my mind will say no first, my gut, no, my gut will say no first, then my mind, and if I don't listen to either of those things, my body will hit stop, and I won't be able to actually move forward. Chandra, um, I'm gonna go to you for this next question. And we also had a lot of people vote up this question. And I encourage you to help answer it however you see fit. So the question is, have you ever experienced toxic leadership? And if so, do you have any advice for navigating it? And that's the end of the podcast. <laughs> Who hasn't had toxic leadership in here? Not one person has raised their hand. Yeah. Wow, that's pretty staggering. Um, I have um, encountered that, and how do I? <laughs> um, I? I have encountered it, and I try to reflect on that and figure out again what I don't want to be because it is so awful, um, and I probably spent a few years navigating through an environment like that, and just try. And I was fairly young at the time, and just trying to figure out um, what to do, right, in an environment like I, there was like 90 thing, 90 percent of everything that I was doing was amazing and super exciting, but then you had this 10 percent that felt like the weight of 90 percent. Um, so I, I did have to lean on a lot of people. Um, I tried to be super intentional about like what my releases were, how I was going to handle this, um, how I was going to handle the, the person. Um, it wasn't easy, I'll be honest. Like it was, like I said, two to three years where I had to just kind of go through this. And, and I, I tolerated it, right? I stayed. And I would recommend, uh, it's so easy to be like, oh, well, just get out of there. Just leave. Um, it's not always that easy, necessarily, if you're doing so many things that you like love to do. Um, and I also would say it, it became kind of the norm, which is also terrible. And so I had to be really honest with myself. And I, I went in and said, listen, this isn't working for me. Um, things have to change, and if it doesn't change, I just need to be candid with you that I'm going to depart. Um, and it was, I was so nervous doing that, um, and I thought to myself, like, I had to get there, what, like, what's the worst that can happen, right? And I always tell myself that when I'm having a really scary conversation, all right, what is the absolute worst that can happen? They fire me, walk me out the door, I'm not gonna die, right? I'm not gonna do X, Y, Z. And so I, that's how I rationalize with myself when I have to have a really difficult conversation. Like, what's the worst that's actually gonna happen? I'm not gonna be in a, so anyway, I, I know that's a all over the place answer. It's not easy, there's no, no, if somebody tells you like this is the way to do it, like 
there's so many different facets that go into those toxic environments and you have to find the, the right path and the right advocates and the right people who can help you navigate that um, if you want to stick around and most things are great. Um, or you, you could leave, right, or have a hard conversation. Um, but yes, I've been in that environment before. Mm -hmm. I'm gonna take one more question from the audience, and this one's a bit of a curveball question. This is uh, definitely a wild card. So this person asked, and I, I think this is great tactical advice for this conference and any conference beyond. The question is, do you have any advice for dealing with creeps who hit on you at these events? Go, my, really go. <laughs> well, my personal answer is my husband has eyes everywhere. He's, no, he's <laughs> not even in this state, so <laughs> my husband's not even here, but he has eyes everywhere, okay? But I guess um, don't, be, don't be afraid to speak up on it. You know, you have a right to protect yourself as a woman, you know? And I'm very vocal, so I'll tell the creep, you want to be a creep, let's have a contest. <laughs> and then make them get uncomfortable, you know? Make them get uncomfortable. Because, like, why are we here doing this? <laughs> you know, why are you being a creep? Just speak up for yourself, be vocal. Um, sarcasm is my second language, so I can, me personally, I'll take a creep down. So that's, that's my answer in short, but that was a great question. But be vocal, communicate what the, the problem is, and make it, aware, everyone aware of what's going on. Speak up for yourself. I have definitely experienced a lot of behavior that is not okay, working, the nature of working lots of live events, music events. As much as this room is very heavily female dominated, my, my world is the opposite. I work with 80% men and have working in a field where it's not a hotel, it's not an event center, we are in a field and there is no HR department. So as much as I don't have the perfect answer because very much as we were discussing before this panel, it catches you off guard and it's very hard. I'm not as witty as you, so I'm, I don't know sometimes the right thing to say. Sometimes it takes a moment to even process what someone said and then why it's wrong on so many different layers. But I think, yeah, just speaking up, not being afraid to report it to a supervisor, a manager, whoever, and just make sure that that is recorded because I do hope that if enough people, and it shouldn't take that, but especially with working with lots of self-employed people, contractors, um, it's like we'll go from a very small core team of lovely people to all of a sudden there's hundreds of contractors and suppliers and teams and you don't know who is who. So really something that I try to be mindful of is if someone says something that isn't okay, if it's a member of security and they've got a number, on their tabard, I will write that number down. If I, I'll just ask someone if it's in a room. I'll say, sorry, could I just catch your name and who you work for? And just make them feel very aware that there are repercussions. In an ideal world, what I would love to do would be pull that person aside and explain why it's wrong. But I just, I, I think I'm still, yeah, learning. My favorite response, and I have also experienced my fair share of creepiness at conferences and events, my favorite response has become, and this took a long time, honestly, to come up with, and it's very easy to remember, so I will gladly share it with all of you today, is when somebody says anything that's inappropriate or offensive is to sit back and ask the question, what do you mean by that? 
or like what? Can you repeat that? Like force them to repeat themselves and make it weird for them. Make it awkward for them. Take the responsibility that's sitting on your shoulders in that moment that does not belong on your shoulders and put it back on theirs. Force them to be accountable, make it weird for them, and then keep it moving. That's my best advice to you. We are at time, but I do want to give these ladies a moment to share any final pieces of advice that you would like to leave with the audience here as they move into the week, this very busy week in Vegas. Chandra, we'll start with you. I would just say that when you look around, everybody's in a different place in their journey, and don't compare yourself to others because what is um, unique to you is unique to you. And so certainly learn from these conversations, but don't compare yourself to others, and I've gotta be here, I've gotta be there, I haven't gotten this job yet. So just follow your journey, and don't look around and compare yourself to everyone else because you're right where you need to be. I would say uh, two things. Always be a student. I know a lot of us are professionals. I see some head nods over there thinking. <laughs> a lot of us are professionals, very advanced, but it's, it, it doesn't um, cost you anything to be a student, even in our industry. It's always something to learn. Um, and also, don't negotiate your worth or your value with anyone. That's my advice to you all. I'm going to keep it very short and sweet and just say, if you are wondering about doing something or hesitating or maybe not hitting send on an application or writing an email and then deleting it, just do it. Just do it and don't be afraid of what you might see as rejection, which I even hate to bring that word in because it, it's not rejection. The number of emails that I've sent and nobody has responded. <laughs> you don't get where you are without trying. So be confident, be that best version of yourself, and just be yourself and just do the thing that you're debating doing. If you're wondering if you should put yourself forward for that job, just please go do it. Well, I wanna thank our speakers here today. If you would give me a round of applause for these ladies. <laughs>